0: Hey friends, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Let's Talk Menopause. Let's Talk Menopause does not provide medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions that you may have.
1: Are women happiest before or after menopause? Before? After. It's th- th- pretty circumstantial. Post.
0: I think women are happiest when they decide to be happiest. I'm, I'm sure
1: like that, that they'd be happier when it was over.
0: They feel like they almost have like a clock on them. Oh, it's like, I have to have a baby now, otherwise I can't. They feel such liberation after that's gone. I am so ready to be done with having my monthly thing. And it Seems like I'm it's really more
2: problems after it. than it is
1: before. That's right. what I'm hearing.
0: Like, I <laughs> literally used to faint from my cramps and to not have to go through that I feel like that'd be amazing but also like then you're old it just kind of is like a sign of aging and like who doesn't get a little bummed out and then like, when you don't feel good when you're not sleeping at night you're sweating you're like I want my period back <laughs> this is hello menopause a podcast where you'll hear real menopause stories from real people whispering behind closed doors <laughs> not here And we promise it is not just in your head. And you are not alone. I'm your
1: host, Christine McGinnis. And I'm your other host, Robin Gelfenbein. Let's talk menopause. At the top of the episode, we heard our menopause on the street segment. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is a segment where I go out on the streets of New York and ask total strangers about menopause.
0: Robin, what'd you think? It's so fun to
1: listen to these because I can always picture the people who I talk to, which I know is a little bit of a benefit to this. But um, after those interviews, there was one line that really stood out to me when I did all of them. And that was when the girl said, I used to faint from cramps, you know, be amazing not to have to go through that. But the line that stood out was like, but then you're old. And I was like, oh. Kick her in the gut. I was like, damn girl, you're just encapsulating like what society thinks, you know. I
0: was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. That one made me laugh out loud when I heard it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. It plays to that whole notion of like anti-aging, right? And I and it made me chuckle. But I having gone through it, I actually do think there's a gift in being old, there's a wisdom that comes with it that I never anticipated. I don't think I would have known it until I've crossed over to the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh you don't sweat the small things in the same way you used to. It's just you've lived enough a life to to worry less and to choose your battles. And so it did make me chuckle to think that like, oh, and then you're old would be this terrible sentence. I, so far, I'm doing okay.
1: <laughs> you're doing great, Christine. I am. You're doing great. The other thing that stood out to me and I've just found it like so empowering was the woman. And I, again, like I can picture every single one of these people, Yeah. but she said, um, women are happiest when they decide to be happiest. And I was like, boom, I totally was with her. I was like, I, but I, I found it really interesting. I was like, this woman is so confident and strong.
0: Yes. And I had, I really had a reaction to that too. And I think I felt, I'm so glad that she spoke to you, but part of me was like, That's not fair. Part of me felt like, well, it is harder to be happier when your hormones are all over the place. I do think I'm slow to say to someone, like, you could be happy if you wanted to, but when you're not sleeping, feeling Mm. depressed and anxious, you have brain Mm -hmm. fog, you're not the same person you once were, I don't think I could magically think myself out of that. Mm
1: -hmm. So I do Mm -hmm. think that hormones
0: play a role in our happiness outside of our intention to be happy. Sure, sure.
1: I was surprised to learn that women are happiest after they've been
0: through it. Yeah, they are. Research shows, yes.
1: Yeah. And I feel like the people I talked to sort of were like 50-50 on that, you know? Right. Because there were those 20-somethings who I spoke to who were absolutely lovely. The one who said like, <laughs> but then you're old. But I was like, <laughs> that is their association because, you know, they're talking with their moms. They were that like their aunts. Like that was their only connection to it. And they're just like right. – you're done, girl. You out. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 apparently not. Like, apparently things were better. So hang tight. <laughs>
0: she cracked me up because I think I thought the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, sure. I thought, oh, yeah, I thought that too. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to, and I don't know if we need to use this, but, and I actually thought, Robin, you would talk about it. So I'm bringing in my own age bias, I guess, was the whole notion of the ticking clock. Because I know I felt that for sure, My like, I got married a little bit after other people. I became a mother a little after other people. And I definitely lived with the sense of a ticking clock that has stopped for me. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting response from a person on the street. Totally. I think
1: it didn't jump out at me as much because I feel like I hear it so often. So it just seemed like it's part of our normal conversation. Um, it didn't strike me as unusual but, you know, I can totally see it from that perspective. But then the other part of it is, like, there are people who don't want to have children. And so then it's like it doesn't even enter their conscience. I mean, it enters their consciousness, of course. But it's I don't think that that overwhelming feeling may be quite as loud for some of them.
0: Right. I don't think I noticed the absence of the ticking clock until I heard her say it.
1: Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see that.
0: I think menopause took up my battery. <laughs> You recharged like a champ. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Without further ado, let's get into our conversation with our guest for today.
1: We are thrilled to have today's guest, who is known as the Fit Chick. She is a professional health and fitness writer who's been featured in several publications like Bicycling Magazine. She's a pro off road racer and all American Ironman triathlete. She's also the host of her own podcast called Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance minded women who aren't willing to put their best years behind them. Please welcome the one, the only, Celine Yeager. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Celine. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: I am Celine Yeager, and I'm the host of Hit Play Not Pause, which is a podcast for active, performance minded women in the menopause transition. But I'm also a longtime athlete myself. You know, I've done Everything from Ironman Kona to mountain bike stage racing. These days I'm into gravel racing. Longtime writer for Bicycling Magazine and a bunch of other titles the men's health, the women's health, all of that. So happy to be here.
1: Oh, we are psyched to have you. We are so thrilled to talk to you. Uh, you clearly just shared all of your, well, not even all, just like a sliver of all of your athletic accomplishments, which are many. <laughs> so I heard you describe yourself as an accidental athlete. And I was wondering, like, how did you get into sports? And like, what kept you engaged and interested throughout your whole career?
2: I think the answer to that is I just have sort of an activity gene that I didn't know that was going to be an athletic gene, right? You know, like, When I was a kid, I I literally, I say this story all the time, but it's true. I was just sort of that kid that rode their bike everywhere, even after everyone else got a driver's license. And I had a driver's license. Be like, oh, I wonder if I could ride my bike to the lake, you know, and it's 20 miles and I've got cherry cloth shorts and flip flops and no water and no helmet. And I made it, you know, I made it to the lake and it was cool. and, And I just did stuff like that. And it wasn't until I got the job at Rodale Press honestly you know which one I was, I was like 20 mid 20s that anyone ever said to me you should try racing that thing that bike you know that I always just rode for fun I mean I played field hockey in school and did the stuff that everybody else did but I never outside of like being a pretty good field hockey player you know I got a you know little scholar athlete thing for that but I wasn't playing any Olympic level sports or anything at that time. I was just a pretty good athlete, right? But it wasn't until much later that somebody said, you should try this thing. And I was like, "Mm." and then it went pretty well. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe there's something there. So given that, like, what was your training like when you
1: were perimenopausal?
2: It was (laughs) my training and racing were very, very intense. I didn't take up the whole, like I started much later in this activity, so You know, it was in my late 20s by the time I just discovered that athletic part, right? And then I met my husband and we had a baby. And after that, I was just like, I still want to pursue this. Like literally, I I think it was 16 weeks after she was born, I did another triathlon, you know, and I won my age group. So, I mean, it's definitely in there. But then I, I, it wasn't until I was 39 that I did Ironman. And that was kind of on a fluke. I was just like, oh, you know, might as well try this thing. I was just going to do 16 weeks to Ironman. It was in an article I saw, like something I would have written, you know, like <laughs> 16 <laughs> weeks to Ironman. I'm like I can do that. <laughs> and um you know, he saw my results from bike races. He's like, "You could totally qualify for Kona." And I was just like, "Don't hear that because I just knew that once somebody said that to me, I was going to be all in, and I was all in." So it went from 16 weeks, you know, to 12 months and uh And that is the one that I won my age group and went to, you know, world championships in Kona six weeks later. But that transformed my whole life. Like I got picked up by the semi-professional mountain biking team here on the East Coast. And I raced with Rebecca Rush. She's a multi-time world champion. You have like duo races for some of these events. So we did, you know, the Brazil ride, which was an eight-day mountain bike stage race through Brazil. We raced in Israel, you know, which is a four-day mountain bike stage race there. And we swept some of them. We swept Brazil. We won every stage. We won the whole thing. I raced in South Africa, you know, and this is all from, say, 40 to 47, you know, just like doing all of this races. And I started to get some stuff in there. Like I, I, you know, my sleep would get disrupted. But when you're racing and training that way, your sleep gets disrupted. So I wasn't really thinking about it. And... You know, I got I started to get hot flashes somewhere mid to late. And then I was like, oh, okay, this thing is happening. But still at that point, I'm like, that's all I knew about menopause. Was like that your maybe your periods get funky and that hadn't really started happening yet. And hot flashes. Like those are the only two things that I really thought about. And I had written about like weight gain, you know, when I was writing for Prevention magazine, but I'm like, ah, you know, I'm so athletic, maybe that won't happen to me, kind of thing. I really didn't think about it, and it didn't enter my consciousness in a big way until about 48. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is happening. This is this is actually a real thing. But even like I had anxiety, like wicked anxiety attacks sometimes. I didn't know those were related. I had no idea. No idea. Mm-hmm. So much women don't know. It's criminal.
0: Exactly. And and we at Let's Talk Menopause ran across you when you wrote the article in Oprah magazine that no one I know talks about menopause, mm-hmm. which is part of the problem. No one's out there forewarning you what's to come. And I read in that article that at 47, you started having trouble sleeping.
2: Yeah, that, that it was noticeable, that I'd be waking up, like, soaked, you know, like, and in a panic.
0: Yeah, night sweats.
2: Yeah, just literally just like, it felt like impending doom for, and I'd be laying there, like, counting backwards from 50, just trying to take myself back down. And yeah, yeah.
0: I think I tell this story every time we record, but I had the same thing happen. And when it first started happening, my husband woke me up and he said, Christine, I I think you wet the bed. That's how much water. (laughs) You're You're
2: like, yes, I did. Just not in the way you think that I did.
0: Well, for a minute I had to chat. Like, did I? Everything is so wet and warm here.
2: It's crazy how much you can sweat. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: And I think of the anxiety, I don't know that people link that so much to perimenopause, but I had this experience where I I couldn't get my key in my front door. And, you know, just one try and I couldn't get it in. And I started sobbing.
2: You know, when estrogen declines, like I've done so much research on this now with like Dr. Lisa Moscone, like our brains physically change. Like as estrogen declines, it affects our neurotransmitters. It affects cortisol wildly. Like cortisol, which is a stress hormone, goes up a lot. And women who have never had, I mean, I've talked to rock climbers, who have just like, they've gone up Everest. They've been everywhere. And all of a sudden, they're like terrified on a pitch that they've done a million times. I had that happen on a mountain bike. I mean, things have gone down. I could do a blindfold. I'd be like, I got to walk today. What is up? And that's what sort of got me to start the show that that I started is that, you know, I'd start seeing like, it was almost like a video game, like women just sort of disappearing off the starting Mm -hmm. lines. And my, my age, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, sometimes you're done and, you know, but something, this is not. And and just knowing that I was experiencing all this, I'm like, I'm sure that all these other women are experiencing this. And just, especially in an athletics space, no one's going to talk about it. Right. And once I started talking about it, boy, it was shocking how many people <laughs> were like, yes, me too. And thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember just from the, the few endurance... Events that I've done, I remembered like when I was learning and training, like mind over matter is so huge, so I feel like your mental fortitude was probably just so messed up with that, like how did you overcome that, knowing like like you believe in all your heart that you can do this, but then your brain is telling you something else like how did you how did you overcome that?
2: who there was I mean, I'll be a hundred percent transparent there was a a pretty tough year where I was just like. I'm done and I think I just want to disappear. And I've never been that way. I was just always like, I'd be the one in a Carmen Miranda suit, like racing at like some single speed race, right? Like I never felt that way. And I was just like, what is happening? And it was, you know, finally, I, th- I think just knowing, like once I started educating myself a little more, because I'm a writer on this stuff. So I just started digging in and, you know, what what's happening. And once I understood the mechanism, it was easier because I was like, okay. Like, I can talk back to this. It's not, you know, I like, I could put it in another part of my brain and be like, okay, I know what's going on, so I can talk back to it. It's sort of, sort of the same relationship that an athlete will have with pain, right? You know where it's coming from, so then you can kind of start talking back to it and maybe negotiating with it, or whatever you do. And it's the same mental gymnastics with this. It's just like, all right, I hear you. I hear you, Sheila. I know what's happening. Like, let's just. Calm down up there. It just helps. Like, it, I think just knowledge is power, especially when you're going through stuff that you, that otherwise you just don't understand and you think that this is maybe just the way you are now.
0: Can I just back that up a minute and say, I know you're a writer and I know you wrote about menopause before reaching it. Did you know much about perimenopause? not
2: anywhere to the extent. You know like I had co-authored a book with Dr. Stacy Sims, who the book was called Roar. And that came out in 2016 and she is a pioneer in the space of women's training physiology and she's like she has devoted her life to exploring scientifically how women respond to training and nutrition differently than men do because of their sex hormones and their cycles, right? So we had written a whole book and it included a chapter on menopause. So I I was pretty well versed in how the hormonal cycle did impact some of this and you know when it started to get disruptive and those hormones declined what that meant but we we didn't spend as much time in perimenopause itself when those hormones go crazy when they go haywire and that's when it's really most disruptive because the brain so saying before it physically changes like Lisa Muscone's work I encourage anyone to look at it she did a study that came out last year that our brains physically change as estrogen goes down. The the gray matter and the white matter decrease, the glucose metabolism declines, like things get a little whacked out. But then they also rebound. The, as the brain weans off of it, you know, it, it compensates and it, it comes back from it. But it's that middle part that's the most disruptive for most women. And that I didn't know. And I also didn't know that estrogen was anabolic. I didn't know all this stuff. I didn't know that that's why... You know, your power and your, your muscle can start to disappear and your bone can start to disappear so precipitously is because estrogen also influences all of these mechanisms. I didn't know that either. I've always been a super muscular woman. And one day I looked in the mirror and was like, oh, my God, what has happened? And as a trainer, when I was in my 20s and through my 30s, and women would tell me this when they were in menopause, and I did not believe them. And I would like every platform I have, I apologize to them. And I'm going to say I'm sorry again. I'm sorry, everyone, I didn't believe because you were right. And no one listened to you, but you were correct. That is true. It can happen really fast because our sex hormones go off a cliff. Like men's testosterone is a nice gradual decline. So sure, they have the same sort of effect over time, but it's literally over decades. But you'll see if you look at women's hormones, they go like you're throwing paint at a wall. And then all of a sudden they just go, (laughs) boom. Like, of course, that affects everything. (laughs) You know, like when you look at it that way, you're like, well, of course, this is how I feel. So no, to answer your question shortly, no, I did not know as much about perimenopause.
0: So I read um, the piece you wrote, I think it was in 2006, the letter you wrote to your younger self. So I'm going to challenge you a bit and say, like, what would you want your 45-year-old self to know about what's to come?
2: I would want that person to know that even things that you don't think will affect you are going to affect you, you know? Like... Those body composition changes, that anxiety, that fearfulness, but it's not the end of the line. It's going to feel that way, but it's just a tunnel. It's a transition, and there's light at the end of that. So just keep going and educate yourself.
0: Why do you think there is such stigma on this topic? Why do you think we don't know more about it?
2: Because there's stigma with everything with women and their anything, right, that is remotely uncomfortable whatever like the menstrual cycle was a stigma for how long and we're finally coming out of that and just talking openly like you yeah, we you don't talk about that time of the month where women bleed and stuff like oh my lord remember hiding your tampon in your sleeve right like all this stuff so like we're finally through that but menopause it takes it one step further because we also have a very age fearful society right And those two things kind of dovetail and go hand in hand in people's minds. But even though menopause can start in your early 40s and you're by no means going into the sunset at that point, you know, I think people still have this very tight association with menopause as an old thing. So, my God, I cannot say I'm menopausal because that means I'm old. And then I have this whole other kettle of fish that I need to deal with. And who wants to deal with that? Right. Like, I think it's just like it's that simple. And, you know, we have all these values assigned to us that are linked indirectly, at least to our reproductive viability. You know, it's all of this. And we're starting to finally get past that, but it's really entrenched. You know, so I'm, I'm super hopeful for my daughter's generation and for even like people not that far behind us because we are plowing a path through this stuff, you know, as we start talking about it more broadly like this.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And I I think I definitely relate to what you said about that feeling of being invisible. And uh, I don't know if you know, like, I went into menopause at 34. Oh, wow. I was one of them. I had premature ovarian. Back then, it was called failure. Now, it's called premature ovarian insufficiency. How is that? It was really rough. Thank you for asking. So in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative study came out, which basically put the fear of God into women uh, and doctors for prescribing HRT. So I was diagnosed the next year, and no doctor would give me HRT. So I just gotten married, and we were really athletically—this is where I get to be an athlete—trying to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, I was missing periods, and so I was going through, like, Costco-sized quantities of at-home pregnancy tests, because every time I missed a period, I thought I was pregnant, but I wasn't. Uh, It turns out I was menopausal, and so you get this diagnosis at the same time you're trying to— start a family and you're dealing with infertility and saying to your husband, "Like I don't know what happened to my libido. It was here yesterday.
2: <laughs> I don't know where it went. Mm-hmm.
0: I relate to that feeling of being invisible.
2: So you felt it way back then.
0: I did. And because I was going through this when my friends were all conceiving and having their families, and I, while I was very happy for them, I was stuck in this world where I was teaching middle school and I would hot flash all over the classroom. And I mean, I'd just be dripping in sweat. And the kids would say, Miss McGinnis, are you all right? It's not that hot in here. And then I would go to the lunchroom and, you know, I couldn't talk to my peers about being menopause, people my age, because they couldn't relate. And then there were older women. And when I brought it up with them, they were kind of like, sister, please. Like I wasn't quite fitting in there either. So I, I felt very alone in it. And I did feel invisible. And I had this sense of oh, I miss the old me. I miss the old me. Mm-hmm. Like, will she ever come back? And I went through that for a number of years as I went through this transition. And then I finally came to terms with that isn't happening. There's a new you. And that might be common for a lot of women who go through menopause that you have a, there's a little bit of freedom that comes with it once you get through the worst of it.
2: 100%. And I think about this a lot because like I said, like the the like men don't have that abruptness of it. Right. There's something about the abruptness of it that can be a gift if you let it be one. Because it stops you in your tracks and makes you think. Right? It was nice because I, I would otherwise never stop. You know, like that's just not in my nature. So it, it did. It stopped me in my tracks and it made me assess a lot of things. Like, okay, what what do I want out of sport? What do I want out of life? What do I want in this next chapter? Like, okay, things are going to yes. change. Change is not synonymous with bad. So let's let's think about this. And in some ways, lit fires that I don't think I would have lit otherwise. I don't know that I would have this podcast or this new initiative or, or the just the excitement that I have around seeing what lies around the corner now. You know, I, I don't know that that would, that would have happened in the same way. So in yeah. that way, it's, it's kind of really cool.
1: I think it's so encouraging for younger generations. Like you're talking about your daughter and even people who are, you know, twenties, thirties who are coming up. And it's just like, oh, there is hope because everything has been so negatively associated with menopause.
2: That was my, that was my main, main, main initiative. Because when I did start doing research, you know, wanting to start a podcast or wanting to start some stuff in the space, there wasn't a whole lot out there. Nothing for my demographic, you know, for like athletic women, especially mm-hmm. or women who are doing CrossFit and Ironman and all that kind of stuff. But what I was finding was just was the kind of stuff that the women's magazines were doing in the 90s and early 2000s, just so negative, talking about the menopause. And the, it was all weight focused and it was negative and negative. And I was I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, it's just like when you start down that negative place, it's hard to get positivity out of that dark hole. Right. So then it just becomes a dark hole that people are just sucked into and, and it feeds on itself. And so the, that's one of the happiest things about the community. And it makes me happy every damn day is they're so positive.
0: Yeah. I mean, women live on average now 30 years after reaching menopause. That, that's a pretty big chapter of your life.
2: Oh, easily.
1: Just going back when you were talking about how there's just hope for the younger generations, like I was talking to my niece who's 13 and she showed me like her little period bag. And I was like, oh my God, I would, we were talking about before, like just hiding this, just having so much shame around it when I was 13. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on like, how do we normalize menopause? Like we have, it's not that they're completely normalizing periods at this point, but what are the things you think we can do to get to that point?
2: We're doing it. You're doing it. All this talk is very, very big. And it's, it's funny, I had, before I leave that thought, I mean, you have Michelle Obama and Oprah talking about it. So I think like that pushes a giant door open. But in having all of these conversations, and the more people just talk about it like a normal thing, I have... I have men and women coming up to me at races these days. I'll be riding. I'll be like, can we talk about this not on this hill right now that we're all trying to, (laughs) you know. But dudes will come up and they'll just be like, oh, we listen. My wife and I, they both listen. We both listen. And thank you. You know, she feels so much better. And now she's talking to her her doctor about maybe hormone therapy or like whatever to get through some of this depression. or You know, otherwise she wouldn't have heard about. And like I firmly believe in the power of one. I devote my life to believing in that. I believe that if I talk on my podcast and I can reach 50,000 people in a month or whatever, then those 50,000 people can reach however and and you guys can reach. And that makes a cultural shift. Like it's all going to change because women in their 50s, are coming into positions of power. Like before us, you didn't have women in the workforce even. We're here, and we're not going back, and there's only more women. So these conversations are 100% going to be normalized, and it's only there's only going to be progress from here. I, I had a woman at a startup, actually, and I, I won't mention it because it really irritated me, but she asked me, uh, she wanted to talk about like what I was doing and the work they were doing she wasn't menopausal. She was younger, but she, you know, she said, "Well, we have some 50-year-old women on the board and blah blah blah." I'm like, "Well, that's good. That's important." And she said, "Well, do you think this is all just a fad?" Oh, oh my god. My Oh, yeah, you can only imagine. <laughs> Cuz I don't have a poker face.
0: <laughs> the more you age, the more you lose that.
2: <laughs> I mean, I kind of know what she was getting at, but it's still it's like, "Oh, no, 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 no."
0: Yeah.
1: You know, but what a teachable moment for her though, too. Yeah. Hopefully.
0: When we originally started the idea of creating this nonprofit around this topic, Mm -hmm. we started as the Menopause Project. But then we said, no, let's talk menopause.
2: Let's talk because as soon
0: as you talk, people come out of the
2: woodwork. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I mean, women who, you know, I know women who stopped running because they wet themselves. Right. And who wants to talk about that? But when you do talk about that, because that's actually one of the most treatable parts of all of this. Like there's actually many things you can do. But if you're just like so ashamed and you just disappear, then nobody can help you because they, they don't know and the information's not out there.
1: Yeah. You were talking before about anxiety and how you would be up late and just like mind kind of racing. But I also heard you say that you're not an overthinker. And so I was wondering like, how
2: do you do it?
1: (laughs) How do you not overthink?
2: I know, like give us the secret. You know, no one's ever asked me that before. So I am a catastrophic thinker of, I have my pro card in catastrophic thinking. I'm very, very good (laughs) at that. Um, When I say I'm not an overthinker, I mean like I do big spontaneous things like buying houses and uh you know <laughs> wow. like that kind of thing without thinking. To, wait, sometimes it doesn't go great. But <laughs> you know, like sometimes thinking a little more is a good idea. But like if you ask me, do you want to sign up for this event and I'm just like it looks cool to me, I'm very likely to just say yes. That's how I think about those two different things. So yeah, when I am the world is ending always, so I'm always like I better just do things. But yeah, when I'm up in the middle of the night, it's all the, the catastrophic scenarios.
0: Definitely. Talk a little bit more about your podcast and what you've learned from talking to so many. You've had some great guests. And what have you learned?
2: I've learned a lot, actually. I mean, I've le- like all this stuff I'm spouting at you now, <laughs> I've learned a lot of it from my podcast. So we started in October of 2020. Uh, and we kicked it off with Dr. Stacey Sims because she and I are coming out with another book for this audience called Next Level. And, you know, I've had on rock climbers and dragon boat racers and triathletes and ultra runners and you know doctors of all kinds which has been really great too you know a lot of not just obgyns but podiatrists and cardiologists and just really learning all the things that are within our control and you know the power of like i said the power of educating yourself and and really i think the biggest thing i've i've learned is is how much Power and comfort comes from understanding, like I said, the science behind all this stuff. So I had on a sleep specialist, and she was, she described the anxiety as like a pride of lions in your brain. You wouldn't be able to sleep back in the like because that what stops you from sleeping, you know, you have like sleep pressure and you have all this stuff. And like the anxiety part wakes you up because it's evolutionary. Like if there's something to be worried about, you should be waking up, right? But there's things that we don't need to be worried about and our brain is artificially stressed because of that cortisol right. that I was talking yeah. about before. So like that's so just knowing that and then knowing like, okay, I need to take care of this stress part, this cortisol thing, and then dominoes are going to fall and I'm going to sleep better. And then when I sleep better, I'll be less anxious because that helps. And then the body composition will be better. Like just knowing that you, that there's these bigger pillars that if you knock on one, it has a mm-hmm. knock on effect on all the other ones. And that is super, super empowering. Like taking that back to those fundamental pillars has been instrumental in my life. I sleep like a baby now. But, you know, with again, without like having all these conversations with all these different people and who bring all this information to the table, you could spend months you know, trying to figure out like, why do my joints hurt? You know, or why am I, you know, going to 12 different doctors for symptoms that are generated from basically the same thing.
0: It's so refreshing to Instead of saying, what's wrong with me? This self-blame. Like, what is the matter with me? Why am I crying about this? Why why can't I sleep? When you say there's a medical reason that your body is going through this medical transition and your hormones are fluctuating wildly, you can take the self-blame out of it. Totally. I'm going through a medical transition.
2: My body is physically changing right now. How can I work with it? How can I help you, right. body?
0: Let's talk. I like that.
1: Just thinking about the medical aspect of that. And you said you've had all these doctors on your podcast. Do you find now that like maybe incrementally doctors are becoming a little bit more educated around the topic of menopause? Because for, you know, decades, centuries, eons, that has not been the case.
2: Even in OBGYN, there's a study that came out that only 20% of them had gotten trained in menopause, which is unbelievable.
0: Yeah, their coursework is elective, like women's health. Is elective?
2: Yes, that makes me insane too. But yes, to answer your question, that you know, one of the cardiologists I had on, light bulbs were going off all over her. She's like, we need to talk about this more. That needs to change. That must feel so good that you know,
1: and I, and I know it's not single-handedly, even though you have been called the face of menopause, <laughs> but knowing that <laughs> you're having such an impact.
2: It's enormously satisfying. When I started up Bicycling, I was one of the few women in the space, and it felt really impactful and important at that time. You know, I was definitely helping getting more women into sport, and that was empowering more people. This feels right now to me like if I die tomorrow and this is the legacy I've left behind, I will have lived a good life.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had one other question about doctors. Did your doctor say anything to you about menopause when you were experiencing different potential symptoms?
2: I didn't even bring it up because I didn't think to bring it up. I never actually sought any kind of help for that because A, that's just not in, it's not sort of my nature. But I also just didn't think that it would be something to bring up with a doctor, as silly as that might sound now. But now I have a menopause trained practitioner who I talk to who's also part of CrossFit Health and somebody that I've had on my show. And I'm like, this is amazing. I can have a long detailed personal conversation with a very smart trained professional who's one of the top doctors in Boston. And she speaks my language and is going to help me be my best in my capacity as this active woman in menopause, which is amazing. That's awesome.
1: And I would think that aside from getting this unbelievable information and advice, but just feeling less alone about the whole. Oh, so great. Experience. Yeah. I mean, you've done so much and I was surprised to hear that you felt alone when you were going through menopause. And I know you talked about like hearing from people at races and stuff, but like when you first shared your story, what was the response and like what really surprised you?
2: I think I was surprised how willing other people were to talk. Do you know, I wasn't sure that was going to happen. <laughs> I wasn't sure. It was actually quite anxiety producing to launch that podcast because I was like, okay, here I come, world. I'm going to talk about this thing that nobody is talking about. And I wasn't sure how it was going to land. And I wasn't really sure. I mean, I knew I was plugging into an audience, I knew they were there, but I wasn't sure how willing, you know, like, Rebecca Rush, she was that athlete who's a seven-time world champion. She's still out there kicking ass. When I asked her to be on the second podcast, I wasn't sure she was going to say yes because I wasn't sure, you know, she was going to want to talk about it. But she's like, yeah. She's like, I've never actually said menopause. Hmm. You know, she's 53, never said menopause, but she, she went to her coach and she's like, I want to see my, my power numbers, you know, which is like when you ride a bicycle, it has a power meter. It tells you how much you're, how powerful you are. She asked her coach, I want to see my power numbers before and after menopause. He's like, when did you go through menopause? She's having this conversation with this very high profile coach about menopause. And Mm. I am starting to hear menopause getting brought up on all these other cycling podcasts. And I don't think that's a coincidence, right? So that is what I'm finding to be fascinating. And maybe what surprised me is how willing other people, once somebody made it okay and open, like how many other people were actually willing to come forth and just talk super openly about it. Like, I'm I'm always delighted and maybe a little surprised when the athletes I have on who are still active are like, yes, I'll come on your show and I'll talk about this thing.
0: So is life better before menopause or after menopause?
2: There's no better or worse. It's different, but it's equally good. No,
1: that's great. Um, and I also love your mantra, which I would ask you to just share with our listeners about just around this space. Would you tell us what that is?
2: Yeah, live forward. Because I think, I don't think, I know, that many people, men and women, but let's stay in the women's space, when they hit this this place and it's uncomfortable and things aren't working the same way and, and they're not liking what they're seeing, they immediately like kind of flip and they start looking in the rearview mirror and they start just looking backwards and looking backwards and looking backwards. And it's just like too early in your life to be just looking backwards and looking backwards on this life that you had. And not the life that is in front of you. And I just really firmly believe that you should live forward as long as you can. You know, I mean, I understand, like, maybe when I'm in my 80s, I'll start looking back. a little. But even then, like, just keep looking forward. Like, live forward. When I raced, I would always not want to look over my shoulder because the race is in front of me. Right? Like, there's not much I can do. If something's coming up on me, it's coming up on me. I'm going as fast as I can. So, like, just keep eyes forward. That's where it's happening. That's what's going on. So I I carry that on into this space. I think like live forward because there's a lot of great things that are out there still. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think it's so inspiring. And uh, will you
1: tell us a little bit about the book?
2: Sure. It is called Next Level. And that is with Dr. Stacey Sims, who I was alluding to earlier. And it's really just uh, about, you know, keep on kicking ass and performing well as a performance minded woman going through the menopause transition. And where can people
1: find out about you, about Hit Play, Not Pause, and all of the awesome initiatives you've got going on?
2: I would invite everyone to go to feistymenopause.com. That's where they can find everything. It's the company that hosts my podcast, as well as the membership that I have affiliated with that, and all the good things that we do is called Live Feisty Media. They do all things feisty, feisty triathlon, feisty this, and so we are feistymenopause.com. Come check us out.
1: I love it. Stay feisty. <laughs>
2: it is. It's just got
1: such awesome energy behind it. Just like the the podcast name. It's just like you instantly can glean that this is going to be a little bit different from the other conversations that we've heard about menopause for so long. So thanks so much for talking with us today and for everything you're doing. And I, I hope to see you out there on the road, although you'll fly right by me and, and just kick
2: my ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Celine. It meant everything.
2: Thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks a lot.
1: So I love talking to Selene. She is so down to earth, so real, just like so completely embraces who she is and is not afraid to share who she is.
0: I feel the same. What I love about her is like, she's clearly a strong, badass woman, but she has no trouble, especially in her writing, being vulnerable about the time she struggles. And I just feel like that's a gift to present that to other people, that you can be a strong, fierce woman and honest about the vulnerabilities we face. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, what really stood out to me was, well, two things. One was just like the
1: power of one and how by sharing your own story that it can have such a ripple effect and the fact that she was brave enough to do that and now she's getting the word out to so many people, including the medical community, which is huge, is awesome. The second part that I really loved was just how her whole angle is like giving people hope and it's all about positivity and it's not like this is a death sentence.
0: Right. What did you think? I agree with that. And I had not, I was glad you brought up live forward because I hadn't heard that before. And I thought, what a great way to frame not just going through menopause, but life, like live forward. And Mm -hmm. I think going through menopause, you do grieve a bit for what you've lost and the person you used to be, but a whole new set of opportunities present. And it's true, live forward. I love that.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also kind of goes along the idea of like hit play, not pause. You know, it's like,
0: Don't stand still. Don't look back. Like, keep it moving. Right. Anybody who bikes up 200 hilly miles of gravel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Knows what she's
1: talking about. Totally. She's such a force. I just I think she's just so damn inspiring. I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk to her.
0: Me too. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy recording it, we'd love it if you could help us out. All you have to do is rate and review the
1: show, and it will help us reach more listeners. It only takes a minute, and it makes a huge difference.
0: It really does. And if you want to follow the show while you're at it, we won't mind.
1: (laughs) No, we won't. And don't forget to tell your friends to check it out, too.
0: Our mission at Let's Talk Menopause is to give people the information they need so they can get the health care they deserve. Please visit our website at letstalkmenopause.org for a wealth of menopause information, including a symptoms checklist, information about long-term health risks, how to navigate menopause at work, interviews with health experts, and so much more.
1: A big thank you to Always Discreet for sponsoring this episode of Hello Menopause. Always Discreet, because we deserve better.
0: Hello Menopause is a production from Let's Talk Menopause made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Christine McGuinness. And I'm your host, Robin Gelfenbein. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer and Alana Herlands is our producer. Laura Boyman and Catherine Devine are our associate producers.
1: Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and Claire Bideggeri-Curtis is our sound designer. Hello Menopause was concepted by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pacheznik,
0: and Becca Godwin. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. So check it out.